I want to do a second in a series here of, of worship. And um, uh, and last week, what did we say about worship? Worship is what? In very simple, so what is worship in simple terms? Does anyone remember what we said? Anyone just shout it out? Interrupting our self-occupation. Right. Right, interrupting our self-occupation so that we could attend to the presence of God and to attend to the person of God and to attend to the Word of God. That's true worship. Basically, we have a saying in our Bible school back home at BCNS, concentration on the words that God is saying is the highest form of worship. And so I want to talk about the other side of worship this week. And I don't want to, when I give you the title, you're going to be, maybe some of us are going to be immediately feeling condemned. And that's not the idea of this message because Church is not to condemn people, but church is to talk about the problem, but also really spend time on the answers. And so worship, there's another side of worship, and that is uh, that, like, if, you're, if you've been in Africa or if you come from Africa, you see it right in front of you. If you're, if you're from India, you see 250 million different gods, 250 million gods, and there's others that are not even named. We would say idol worship. We would say the lost tribes in the, in the, in the Amazon in Brazil worship idols. But idol worship is really something that we see prevalent in today's society. But let's start in Genesis chapter 22. And I want to read some verses to you. Uh, I'm just going to read them to you. I'm reading from the Amplified Bible, Genesis chapter 22. And this is about Abraham. And at first you're going to wonder, how does this relate to idol worship? But in the end, I'm going to tie it all together. And it's going to just be a beautiful... Genesis chapter 22, verses 1 through 13. 22, verses 1 through 13. And let's just have a prayer before we start. <coughs> Lord, we just want to slow down and just take a deep breath. Lord, we want to quiet ourselves, Lord, before your presence or before your word. Lord, we want to be in awe of you. God, we want to be, uh, we want to be surgically opened by the Word of God. We want to be healed, and then we want to be sewn up in Your healing love and grace. We just pray that You would set us free today from from the burdens that we carry in this life through these words. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Genesis chapter twenty-two. Now I'm going to read the first thirteen verses. Okay. Now after these things. God tested the faith and the commitment of Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he answered, Here I am. God said, Take now your son, your, and listen to how he says this, not just your son, but your only son of promise, whom you love, Isaac. He didn't say Isaac, just take Isaac. He said, he made the point here that God, that Abraham loves his son, your only son of promise, whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on the mountains, on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham got up early in the morning. I love that. He just did not tarry, but he just, he got up early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac, and he split wood for the burnt offering. And then he got up and went to the place of which God had told him, on the third day of travel, that's three days of traveling with your son, and you're going to offer him up as a burnt offering. That is just some time to think, isn't it? And when he got up and went to the place of which God had told him, on the third day of travel, 
Abraham looked up and he saw the place in the distance. Verse 5, Abraham said to his servants, Settle down and stay here with the donkey, and the young man, the young man, Isaac, and I will go over there and worship God, and we will come back to you. Then Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and laid it on the shoulders of Isaac, his son, and he took the fire, fire pot, in his own hand and the sacrificial knife in the other hand, and took the two of them, and, and, and the two of them walked on together. So picture this, okay? Abraham loads the firewood that he had just split. He didn't wait to get to the mountain. He split it immediately. He split the firewood, wraps it up, puts it on the shoulders of his son. And then in one hand, Abraham has the fire pot, or the, or the, or the fire that's already burning. He does not waiting, he's not waiting to get up there. He's got it ready. And on the other hand, he's got the sacrificial knife. And, and Isaac said to Abraham, his son says to Abram, my father, and he said, here I am, my son. Isaac said, look, the fire, the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, my son, God will provide for himself a lamb for the burnt offering. So the two walked on together. I love that. Abraham is thinking in promise, isn't he? He's thinking in promise. And when they came to the place which God had told them, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood and bound Isaac his son and placed him on the altar on top of the wood. Abraham, in verse 10, reached out his hand and took the knife to kill his son. What a crazy situation that is. This is insane. Like, this is unbelievable. Like, what, who is this God that would ask him to do that? And who is this father that would do this? Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to kill his son. But, in verse 11, the angel of the Lord, capital A, angel, means a pre-incarnation of Jesus Christ that's called a theophany in the Bible, Old Testament. But Jesus Christ, or the angel of the Lord, uh, called him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham, and he answered, here, am, here I am. And the Lord said, do not reach out with the knife in your hand against the boy, and do nothing to harm him, for now I know that, you're, that you fear God with reverence and profound respect. Since you have not withheld from me your son, your only son of promise. Then Abraham looked up and glanced around, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his thorns. And Abraham went, took the ram, offered it up for a burnt offering, ascending sacrifice instead of his son. So Abraham named that place, the Lord will provide. The Lord will provide. Those are beautiful. I love that story, and I know that we've probably heard this story preached so many times, but every time I read this, I just get something so amazing out of it. The very first commandment in the Bible, in Exodus chapter 20, verse 3, is, I am the Lord thy God, you shall have no other gods before me. I want to go back to this story in a minute. What is an idol? Idol is two things, and I just want to talk about three things here this morning. What is an idol? Number two, getting our heart's desire, and then number three, how God deals with our idols. What is an idol? Well, it's anything, number one, that is more important to you and I than God. Anything that absorbs our heart and our imagination more than God. Simply put, an idol is anything that you seek to give you what only God can give you. Simply put, an idol is anything that you and I seek that would give us what only God can give us. Isn't that amazing? That's what an idol is. Number two, an idol is whatever you look at and say in your heart of hearts. 
If I have that, then I'll feel my life has meaning. Then I'll know that I have value. Then I'll feel significant and secure. There are many ways to describe what that relationship to something is, but perhaps the best one is what? Worship, right? It's whatever I'm worshiping. I'm reading a book, and it's called, it's by Timothy Keller called Counterfeit Gods. And I want to, uh, how many of you during the week get an email from me, like an, up, an upbreed, uh, update? Upbreed? Okay. This week, I'm going to give to you an attachment that is that book. And every month, we've been trying to read a book together on the team, read a book together. This month, we're a little late because of the hurricane and everything. But uh, I'm going to email you a PDF. That book costs like 15 bucks, but I got, I got a copy of it. Uh, it's probably not legal. I confess my sin right now. I've got a copy of that PDF. And I'm going to email it to you. And uh, I want you just to read that. Just read it through. And he does a great job talking about counterfeit gods and what God's answer is to that. And some of this is from that book. In the, in the, in the old days, in the ancient times, the, the old pagans had, they had sex gods, they had work gods, they had war gods, they had money gods, and they had national gods, they had nation gods. But in our society today, it's not really much different from these ancient ones. Things have not really changed, have they? Some of you are shaking your heads, right? Nothing's really changed, you know? I think the difference between gods in Africa or the demon activity in Africa is that you can see them. But here, you can't see them because they're hiding behind objects. They're hiding behind things that we worship, things that we live in awareness of, that we devote our attention to. Our, our society is not much different. Our, our, our culture is dominated by its own set of gods. Some of them are, in the Western world, beauty, power, Money, achievement, that's a big one, isn't it? Achievement. They can actually be good things such as a successful career, romantic love, material possessions, even family. Now, are these the things that God does not want to give to a person? Let me ask you that. Are these things that God does not want to give to a person? I mean, God wants to bless us. He wants to bless our marriage. He wants to make, it he wants to make our marriage amazing. I mean, so amazing. It's funny because the world thinks that that sex in the Christian marriage is like, like, what is that? I mean, it can, only, it can only be fun outside of marriage. But that's not the case. God wants to bless every area of our life, but the devil throws these idols at us. He throws these idols at us because he wants to take us away from the best that God has. But let me just get back to this. He said, here, when we look at um, Genesis 22, we think of this, that, and when we look at the old, when we look at the old ancient cultures and to today's cultures too, that every idol has its priesthoods, it has its own to totems and its own rituals. Each one has its shrines. I was talking with, um, I think it was uh, Julian before service, and we were talking about, uh, and it was good. It was good. He said it was so good. It was a mistake, but it was true. We were talking about where his wife worked. He said, "Yeah, my wife works right next to the church." He goes, "Oh, I'm sorry. I mean the mall." <laughs> and I said, in one sense, that's really true, right? The mall is kind of a temple in some ways where there are priests and, um, and there are these, these shrines, these sanctuaries where there are office towers, spas, gyms, studios, or stadiums where sacrifices must be made in order to procure blessings of the good life and to ward off disaster. I mean, those, that's, those are words from, from this book. People, whether they're living in a third world country, burning incense to a 
a God that does not change, or if it's the American way of life, making sacrifices so that we can assure ourselves of blessings and protection from disaster. This is the way it works in this Western world that we live in. Why? Because we, as, as fallen creatures, are seeking security, aren't we? We're seeking for control. We live in an out-of-control world, don't we? I mean, just, I mean, who thought that Hurricane Harvey was going to be... I mean, who thought Har- Hurricane Harvey was coming? I mean, who knew it? I mean, I mean, there were places here in this area that, that just sure, assuredly were not thinking that this is going to be as bad as it is. It is out of control, isn't it? We live in a world that can change in a moment. Um, and that is why we want to create idols in our heart to control the world that we live in. Uh, Rebecca Piper said this. She said, listen to this quote. I love this quote. I read this this week, and it really spoke to me about, you know something? All of us struggle with control. Every one of us. Every one of us in this room. We need to, we want to control our world. We really do. And it's because that's just the way human nature is. But listen to what Rebecca Piper says. Whatever controls us is our Lord. The person who seeks power is controlled by power. The person who seeks acceptance is controlled by the people he or she wants to please. We do not control ourselves. We are controlled by whoever the Lord of our lives is. Is that a good quote? We are being controlled by whatever the Lord of our life is. You can see where I'm going in this message, can't you? Idols can be blessings that God has given us, but that we turn into the ultimate purpose of our life. That's what an idol can be. An idol can be something that God has just blessed you with. Now, if God has blessed you today, don't get condemned. Don't feel like, like, oh, I shouldn't have that. That's just hyper-religiosity, and that doesn't glorify God. If God wants to bless you with something, let him bless you. Because the blessing of the Lord makes rich in, in Proverbs 10, verse 22. And I think that we need to humble ourselves to receive what God wants. I'm not talking about name it, claim it, or the prosperity message. We can, we can all identify that, and we all know what that's all about. You know, the, 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 uh, the evangelist out there that wants to buy a new multi-million dollar jet because his old jet is getting old. It's like five years old wants to get a brand new jet. We all understand that's such the extreme, but we can also go to the other extreme. We could think, you know what, for me to have any level of blessing in my life is wrong. That could actually be idol worship. That could be a poverty complex. That could be something that does not glorify God at all. And that could actually be... Actually, it's easier to be poor and broke and proud, isn't it? How many of us have met broken, proud people? <laughs> I mean, we've done homeless ministry on the street. We've done addiction ministry. And I've met some very, very arrogant people. And they think they're humble because of their condition. And they blame everybody else. They blame society. They blame the rich people. They blame the government. But this is all, this could all be idol worship. We think that we can give ourselves significance and security and safety and fulfillment if we attain these goals that this world system put. You know, this world system we live in, they say, get good grades in high school. Graduate with a good with a 4.0. Go to college. Get your diploma in college. Graduate from college. That's still not enough. Get married. Have 400 kids. No, don't have 400. <laughs> have a lot of kids. Uh, have a big house. You know, get a huge mortgage. Drive a nice car. That is just, this is the system, and this is great, but if they become an end in themselves, then they become idols, and we lose our sense of eternal purpose. 
And our eternal purpose in our life is to know Jesus Christ. In John chapter 15, this is eternal life, that we would know him, that we would know him. What is my purpose in my life today, living in Houston, living in spring? My purpose is to fellowship with God. Just to know, what is God saying today? And I'm, gonna, I'm getting ahead of myself here. We seek things that give us significance and security, safety and fulfillment, if we can attain them. Sometimes people, sometimes people and doctors in the medical world that we live in diagnose things as psychological problems. And this is a really big, you know, the government or people or whoever, I don't know, is making a lot of money off of the frail, fallen nature of man, and that is in the world of medication. And sometimes we misdiagnose what psychological problems are. <clears throat> what, are what are they? They are just simple issues of idolatry. <clears throat> If we have, <clears throat> if we have, <clears throat> excuse me, that's yesterday's <clears throat> stuff coming out of my chest. Psychological problems, fear, doubt, depression, or whatever it might be, are all symptoms of a deeper problem. And that deeper problem is, is that there is, that is the result of having a God before us that, that is other than the great God, the almighty God. But you know something, <clears throat> the counterfeit gods will always disappoint and when they disappoint us in a very, they do it in a very destructive way I think that the, going back to Jose that I met yesterday he told me his, his deception was that he could have power over his life, he could have power over people and he could get what he wants by just worshipping Satan or going down that path of the Santo Muerto, oh, I don't know how you say that but this this holy death cult. And he was deceived, wasn't he? The, the idol that he served disappointed him and it was leading him down the path of destruction. Because that path, the idol, never your idol, an idol, my idol, is never going to bless us. It's going to kill us. That's, this, that's the deception of the world. Is that the world says, hey, do this. Hey, you're going to be so fulfilled. You're going to be so like... I think a lot of young teenagers, kids in school... Are, are, are tempted to think that if they, become, if they get into witchcraft, then they're going to be blessed. They're going to have power over people. They're going to be able to cast spells on, on the boy that, or the girl that, that they like, and they're going to be they're gonna get good grades. But the end of that is destruction. Here's another, but here's another way. You know, like, um, here's another way. If we, if maybe we don't go down that path of witchcraft and that dark path, but maybe there's another path and this is, the, this is the path of getting our hearts desired. This is the second thing I want to mention today. First thing was how do we define idols, and we talked about that. The second thing I want to say today is getting our hearts desired. Getting our hearts desired. Now, how many of us, and I've done this, but how many of us have told somebody, I'm praying that God gives you the desires of your heart? I've done that. <laughs> I've done that. But we have to be careful with that. Because Romans 1 verse 25 tells us, and Psalm 106 verse 15 tells us, that God can give the desires of people's hearts, but send great leanness to their soul. Send great, uh, mal, have a malnutritioned soul. You ever been malnutritioned, or have you ever seen a kid that's malnutritioned? No energy, no concentration, no motivation, no, no nothing. Just they're just passive, apathetic. What is that? It's because that can happen spiritually to us. That 
that we could get our heart's deepest desire, and that could be the worst thing that could ever happen to us. We've all read stories about, and I read this story this past week about a guy who, he was a pastor, I don't know where he was, but he won the lottery. He won millions of dollars, and he won the lottery, and and, uh, he said to his wife, I think this is going to really, God's going to, this is a blessing from the Lord, we're going to really use this for the kingdom. And I don't know if those were his exact words, but I, that's what he—that's what his wife says after he had died. So he went out and bought himself ranches, multitude of cars. He bought several houses for his family, started lending out the money to people. And we know how it ends. The last few years of his life, he was living on Social Security, and then he killed himself. He committed suicide. Why? Because he got what he wanted. He got the deepest desire of his heart, and that actually led to his destruction. My prayer... My prayer and our prayer should be, God, give me your will. May your will be done. And then I'm going to be satisfied. I'm going to be fulfilled. I'm going to be happy. Because if God gives us the deepest desires of our heart, we're going to be guilty of creature worship in Romans chapter 1, verse 24 and 25. Because our heart fashions idols. It creates idols. If we look to something created to give us meaning and hope, the happiness that only God himself can give us, it will eventually fail to deliver us and it'll break our hearts. It'll break our hearts. How many of our hearts have been broken in this room because we put our trust in something, in an idol or in a person or in a system that fails us and it breaks our hearts because idols are not there to bless us and they're not for our good. Idols will kill us. They will destroy us and they will bring us down that road of direction of destruction. I want to finish with this. How does God deal with our idols? This is the third thing I want to say today, third and last. How does God deal with our idols? Now, all of us have been in places where the preacher's up there, maybe like laying on the guilt trip or or really, uh, I'm not saying that conviction from the Holy Spirit is a guilt trip because that's a real thing. God can really deeply convict us in a great way and that leads us to uh, conversion. True conviction leads to conversion. Condemnation does not lead to conversion. Condemnation leads us to strengthening us in our sin. Condemnation actually strengthens sin in my life. Condemnation strengthens that that road of destruction in our life. So if you're starting to live in condemnation about things, knock it off. That's just pride. Romans chapter 8, verse 1. Whenever you feel you failed, go to Romans chapter 8. It's one of my favorite chapters. It's like, I have an old Bible at home, and like you look at the sides, you look at the sides of my Bible, right, and you can tell like where that golden part is all worn. That's like Romans chapter eight in the book of Ephesians. <laughs> That's my go-to verse. I'm in that all the time. Romans chapter eight, verse one. There is therefore now no condemnation in Christ, and then the translators added some stuff to that verse that, that are that are not actually there, but they're later in that chapter. There is therefore now no condemnation. Period. For those that are in Christ. Amen? This is where how God deals, how God delivers us from our idols. Now I'm going to go back to Genesis chapter 22. And we're going to talk about what we just read. The most painful times in our life are times in which our Isaacs, our idols, are being threatened or removed. How many of us have had times in our life where God says, I want to deal with that idol in your life? And we just we're like, how many of us ever thought, God, I would... I want to pray this prayer of total abandonment to you, absolute surrender, but I'm really scared. 
like, what if I say, God, I give you my heart and everything, and then my whole life blows up, or I get cancer and I die, you know? What happens that, and this fear comes? And so, but I just want to tell you that when God says, I want to, I want to set you free from that, there's one of two ways that we can respond. Number one, we can opt out for bitterness and despair, and we can feel entitled to, feel, to, to live in those feelings, saying, like, have you, have you heard this, or have you ever said this? I've worked so hard for this person in my career, and now it's all gone. Or I've slaved my whole life to give my child a good life, and, how, and this is how they repay me. These are one, these are one, this is one way that we can respond. We can respond in bitterness and despair and say, oh my gosh, I'm so afraid that God's going to take this from me. But that's the deception of the whole thing. We hold on to things thinking this is going to make me happy. But guess what? Ask anyone that knows you. It's destroying your life. It's destroying my life. We hold on to those idols like we would hold on to a lifesaver. And it's like holding us back and it's destroying us. It's bringing in self-destructive habits into our life. And this is not helping us. Or there's a second way. There's a second way that we can deal with this when God says, bring your Isaac to Mount Moriah with fire in one hand, knife in the other hand, and wood on your son. <laughs> bring him up there, and I, wanna, I want you to sacrifice him to me. Abraham, this is the second way we can respond. One of the second, one of two ways we can respond. We can take the walk up into the mountains, and I can say, God, you are calling me to live my life without something I, could, I thought that I could never live without. But I have you. I have the only wealth, health, love, honor, and security I really need and cannot lose. We can say, God, I know you're calling me to lay that down. Whatever that is, the thing I'm holding on to that's giving me, that I think is giving me significance and security and wealth and honor and respect. God doesn't offer a strategy of ten steps to avoid idolatry. He's not... You know, we're looking for the 12 steps, aren't we? We're looking for those 12 steps. Our flesh likes steps because it can act, it can work, it can produce. But God is not asking us, he's not using, God is not, you know, idols can't be remedied by repenting that you have an idol or using willpower to try to live differently. Sin cannot be just pruned off like a weed. It's going to continue to grow back. That's the way it is. These idols are going to keep coming back because they're like weeds. How many of us have ever been in the garden pulling up weeds? And then those days later, it's there. It's still there. It's the only way that... And, it, and the God's law can't actually... The, the law of God is powerless to change our heart and, to, and cannot remove our false idols. The law of Moses can only define what those idols are. The law of Moses is so important because it points us to the fact that we need a Savior. Galatians chapter 5. The law, sometimes Christians think that the law is evil and that's like old stuff. We don't even need to obey it. The law in Romans chapter 10 has been filled in Christ. And if we're filled with the Holy Spirit and Christ is, our, is, is on the inside through a decision to believe on him by faith, then the law is fulfilled. And we're living in a fulfilled law when we understand the love of God. When we understand the love of God towards us. The law cannot deliver us from our idols. It can only make it more defined and more clear. Instead, the idol, and here's, here's, the big, here's the big answer here, and this is, this is, I'm getting to the main point of the message, and if you didn't get anything from this message, just remember these two things. The idol must be replaced by God's grace and provision. 
let's ba- let's back up to, to Genesis chapter twenty-two. What did was it God's will for Isaac to be killed on that altar? It wasn't. It wasn't God's will. We think that we're going to lose something at the altar. It may not be God's will for you to lose that thing. What God wanted from Abraham was the right perspective of who his son was and that God was going to provide something by his grace. Um, There, when we understand that God has a provision, and we see here later that this place is called Jehovah God will provide. We discover that we don't find our identity. And you know, we don't understand how Isaac, how important Isaac was to Abraham. He is this child of promise, their only child. An entire nation was going to be born through Isaac. Can you imagine that? An entire nation of Israel. This is what the eschatological uh, covenant plan of God was planned through this nation, through these people. And God had this plan to use Israel, and, and, and Abraham is thinking, he's thinking, he's not thinking that I'm going to kill my son. He understood something, and I, if, and I think you caught it as we were reading this. Abraham says to the young men that were back there by the stuff, we are going to both come back. Isn't that great? Abraham had this hope in God that he wasn't going to lose Isaac. He understood that God's grace was going to provide him a lamb. Abraham understood that God had a plan. When God calls us to lay down our Isaac or whatever that idol may be, Isaac, Isaac maybe, we don't know, but was Isaac becoming an idol to to Abraham? Was Abraham loving Isaac more than the plan of God or more than Jesus Christ, the angel of the Lord? We don't know, but we know that this was tested. He was tested. As he's walking up, and I think that as Abraham's making that fire in the pot and as he's chopping the wood and he's getting that knife and he's putting it on his son's shoulders and they're marching for those, you know, he's traveling for three days. I think Abraham kept telling himself, God will be faithful to provide himself a lamb. And that's our promise today. That when we know that we are valued by God and we don't find our value in anything like worthless idols, God moves our hearts towards him with his forgiveness to a place where we change our mind about the idols. And here's the main point. We don't realize that Jesus is all until we realize that Jesus is all that we have. We don't realize Jesus is all until we realize that all we need is Jesus and that's all we have. And when things start get really getting shaken up in our life, it's not that God wants to torture us by removing stuff. He wants to replace it. He wants to replace it with something more awesome. He wants to replace it with something that we're not even aware of. He wants to replace it with some, something so amazing that our idol looks just like exactly what it is, just a, a worthless stone or, or piece of wood that, that has no power. When we look at our idols and we say, okay, that's an idol, there's no way that we can let go of that unless we understand that God has something bigger for us. <clears throat> Maybe we don't even understand it. Abraham walks away from that Mount Moriah. Later on, that place in the, in the Bible becomes of great significance, and I don't have time to talk about it. But historically, that becomes an incredibly meaningful place in the geography of Israel. But as Abraham's walking away, he's got his son, and there's a dead ram that's been offered unto the Lord. Why? Because God 
provided something by his grace that replaced the losing of his son. I think that we cannot, we don't have to be afraid. And let's just bow our heads for a moment here and as the band comes up, let's bow our heads and, and let's just ask ourselves, not in a condemning way, but in a way that we would understand that God has something better. Let's just ask ourselves, Lord, is there any Isaac in my life? Or maybe there is an Isaac, or maybe I'm already on the way to that place of sacrifice. Maybe, God, you've already pointed that out to me. Maybe it's success. Maybe it's um, fashion. Or maybe it's the way I'm supposed to be, because that's the way the world tells me that I'm supposed to be. Lord, maybe it's some kind of career or some kind of... Um, material object that I use to prop my image up and to portray to people in my neighborhood that this is a certain status that I have. Uh, whatever that is, God, we want you to put your finger on it and we just want to readily offer it up to you. Because maybe it's not God's will that, that we lose that thing that's being tested, that's being asked for from God. Maybe we don't lose it. Maybe we look like we're going to lose it, but maybe that's not God's will for us to lose it. And so we just we just lay our Isaac on the altar, whatever that is, God, today. Uh, whatever we're worshiping above the knowledge of God, whatever we are we are leaning on for our sense of security and our sense of significance. We just want to lay that today at the altar. What is the altar for the Christian today? It's the cross. It's the cross of Jesus Christ. Lord, we want to lay this at the cross today. Lord, we want to put this before you and say, God, I, I can't let go of this myself. I can't deal with this myself. I can't prune myself with this. I want to lay it before you. Because there is no condemnation in Christ Jesus. You love me. And your love and your value towards me is what's going to replace that idol. So God, Romans chapter 5, verse 5, I'm just praying today that you would just reveal through the Holy Spirit the love of God in the heart. Lord, I had a time like this this week with, with this, and I just remember getting on my knees and presenting things before the Lord at the cross, and I just remember the Holy Spirit just filling my heart with the love of God. And Lord, I just want to present these things to you. Not in an environment of condemnation, but in an environment of victory. Like we sang in that song, Lord, that we we're going to rise in triumph and in victory. I want to do that today. If you're here this morning and you've never received Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, and you don't remember that day when you said yes to Jesus, this is between you and God, and we're not going to embarrass anybody, but I just want to, I want to really plead with you say yes to Jesus today. Accept him as your Lord and Savior. Let him come into your life. Let him commune with you. Revelation chapter 3. He'll come in and he'll talk with you. He'll bring meaning into your life and significance. Maybe we've been betrayed by friends and romantic relationships or by material, the promises of a career. And maybe we've been betrayed by those things. Only Jesus can come in and show us how much we're really worth. God's not an idol and he's not going to destroy you like the idols of this world will. 
take a moment of quietness. If you want to pray with someone next to you or you want prayer, you can just come up and we can pray with you. Let's just take a couple minutes of just silent prayer and just let God search our hearts and love us up.